Welcome to another episode of the Inquisitive Analyst. I'm your host, Marcus Yudokang. It's the show where we chat about business analysis and project management issues and the challenges and triumphs within those fields. It's very much inspiring and informative and, without a doubt, inquisitive. My guest today is a product, sorry, project delivery trainer, speaker and coach, and project management consultant and founder of Projecting with People. She helps to engage the project team to deliver more powerful projects. She's passionate about making projects better by making project teams stronger. So please help me welcome to today's show, joining us from Melbourne, Australia, Karine O'Donnell. Welcome, Karine. Hello, Marcus, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest. How did you get started in project management, Green? How much time do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, in truth, I'm probably what you call the accidental project manager. So for me, way back in my uni days, I was doing a part-time job um, at GE actually, and uh, and I was always interested to know more about what I was doing and what other people were doing and how it all contributed. So um, that basically made me a very ripe candidate for a new project that was coming out. Um, and so I was brought on as a secondment as a tester. And I knew nothing about what a tester was, did, um, what a project team looked like or anything of the sort. Um, but, you know, being young and a great opportunity, I thought, why not? So I went and did it. And, um, and I very quickly realized that the test scripts were not, um, were not sufficient and <laughs> weren't testing all the right things. So I decided to add my splice onto that. Um, the secondment increased in time and I touched on BA work and all manner of other things in that time. Um, and it was obviously a heavily under-resourced project, so they probably needed all the hands they could get. And that was my first introductions to projects um, as such. And, and I was really hooked. I was doing a degree in HR at the time, and I was doing a lot of paperwork and not really seeing people so much. And I loved the excitement of projects. So, you know, with, with a few years break um, and finishing off my degree and trying um, HR work and everything, which I absolutely confirmed was definitely not for me. Um, I decided to seek some time in, uh, in in projects and just see where I would uh, where I, where I would really fit in. So I did a few roles, um, probably, and this was so I started that journey back. Well, probably two thousand, and so I started then um, seeking out a role in projects in two thousand and four. Um, and I did, I was a project coordinator and I moved up to a financial controller because my time away from my last project gig was doing accounting work as well. So, um, so I was doing the project financials and lots of other little things in between. And within a year, I became a project manager. I was a junior project manager. Um, and it was a, a terrific opportunity because it was a large transformation project. 
um, it was a it was over a hundred million dollar project. Um, so I was very lucky to be able to look after the financials, and we didn't sink, so I was very relieved. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that was my my first introduction to project management, and I totally was green. I had no background on it, but I was so interested, and because I was lucky enough to have played quite a few roles, I sort of knew what life on the ground was like. Um, and then since then, well, it's been project management, program management, all sorts of other things around project and, and delivering the, the project brief, if you like. But um, and I'm hooked. I'm absolutely hooked. <laughs> yeah, lots of us that start out green and then we grow from there and end up getting certifications or end up you know, becoming pro program managers or um, any other managers involved fascinating uh, story that you've told. So you run a company where you help to engage the entire project team to deliver more powerful projects and to achieve success-driven results. What are some suggestions on how to start to engage a project team? I think the first thing I always like to say to people is just be human. <laughs> I know, and this is something I've learned firsthand, you know, when you first come into a project, whether you're an experienced project manager or whether you're still green, I think a common mistake we make is we think we need to have all the answers. We think because we have this title of manager, and yes, people do look up to us, but they look up to us even before we start to speak. And I think we make a huge impact. I mean, we influence people whether we like it or not, you know, because we're interacting with people all the time. So I think the first thing that people can do to engage the team really is to realize that you are influencing from the moment you step into that role. And what that really means then is the way you show up matters. The way you speak to people matters. The way you engage and the way that you're vulnerable to people matters. You don't, people don't necessarily need all the answers from you because they often have them themselves. But what people need from you is to be able to connect and relate to you. Um, so I think that's probably the first tip I, I always say to people. Realize that you're an influencer. Realize that, you know, just like you, other people have their vulnerabilities, particularly in your team. They look up to you and because you have a title, they assume you, you know, you're not afraid of things. And, and so you want to be able to bring down guards and introduce trust. And you do that by letting people know, hey, I've been, I've been a project manager perhaps for a hundred years, but I've never dealt with you before and I've never been in this situation before. So we're going to learn from each other. And yeah, I bring lots of things to the table and so do you. So how about we work as a partnership? Um, you know, and then there is obviously an opportunity for you to also let people know what the minimum requirements are, what your minimum requirements are, because as a leader, you still need to get a job done. So it's not all about fluffiness, but it is about engaging and connecting and saying, well, here's what I need from you, you know, so um, before we even get on to sort of what the scope will be, what the business case and all those things are, um, what do I need from you? What are my expectations of you? And then vice versa, it has to be a mutual conversation because if you know what people are expecting of you, it's much easier to succeed. And I think I always say to people, what about, what about understanding what success means to somebody else? Because 
we all assume we have the same definition of success and we don't. <laughs> and, I, and it's actually better to know what that looks like upfront um, than to discover it later on in your project and realizing, well, success means that they just execute whatever is their error and all. Whereas to me, success means you look at what's there and you question and you, you know, you talk about it. So, um, so a few things there, but I think remembering that we're human, having that sense of honesty and vulnerability, um, and then also letting people know that you rely, why you rely on them, why, you know, why is their role here so significant to you um, to be able to achieve that success? Interesting. So it's all about being there. It's all about being a leader. So let's say an organization is implementing a new initiative or a step toward increasing business growth. What are some suggestions on where to begin implementing change? I think the first thing is realizing that firstly, your project team is your biggest success factor because they are the people who are talking to everybody. They are, just like we said before about the influencing factor, they are influencing your stakeholders all the time in terms of the work that they do, in terms of you know the, um, the quality that they provide, the communication, as well as your leaders. And, and they are also your eyes and your ears. So you heavily rely on them. So from that perspective, they need to know exactly why they're there they need to know upfront what the brief is. And it's not just about the scope because often I find teams are disconnected. Scope can just be a list of tasks, but why do we even have that in place? What is it fundamentally that you know our customers are expecting from us? And then how does the scope drive that outcome? Um, so I think that's probably the first thing and then helping using your team. So if they know that they realize that using them as the caveat between you know the team and the business to be able to deliver on what it is that you need to implement because it's bringing your stakeholders on that journey with you and to do that firstly you, everybody needs to be on the same page as to what you know needs to be delivered we all need to be communicating the same message and i and i find that this is something often teams forget to do project managers forget to do putting a plan in place to making sure that the message remains the same. Because so often we know we are a team, we go off and do our own things and we have different hallway conversations. And you know, when you, we've all played that game where you, you start off with something and you pass the secret down and it turns into something totally different. And I play this with my children and sometimes there are only three of us playing the game and the message is diluted. Now you can imagine what happens when, you know, everybody else adds their flavor and it's a team of five, 10, 15, and then you have stakeholders involved as well. So have a plan in place to make sure that the message remains the same. And that might be, you have a central point of contact. You make sure that before you go and speak to anybody else, that you understand, you know, what you need to be communicating. And then the other thing is, is making sure that the team understands what part they play in the communication process mm. as well. You know, I mean, maybe it's my job only to be a tester, for example, but I'm still testing somebody else's things. And the communication that happens between me and the stakeholder at that point in the process is so critical to 
how we, you know, how we go ahead and implement that change at the end of the day and how that message is received in terms of the quality and the outcome and everything else. So um, often when I talk about this, it sounds fluffy, but if you make it tangible, I mean, understanding what meetings we have, understanding when we engage with our stakeholders, having communication plans in place, documenting things, those turn the the hallway conversations into something that is tangible that can then be be tracked and measured and make sure that there's that consistency consistency all through hmm. i had a guest on who talked about water cooler conversations that's where you start to implement change so when our organization starts to implement change wherever it is uh they're improving their performance to match their strategy how can an organization embed that change within their culture and work practices? And how can organizations deliver change successfully? Um, big question, but one I do love. <laughs> so I think firstly is making sure that we as a project team and a project manager is clear as to why this change is needed because for that change to be embedded we need to make sure that we're implementing the right thing because if we get the brief wrong people aren't going to use whatever it is that we're putting in place so it will not stick um we also need to make sure that the scope actually addresses the why and i've said this before but often i find there is a disparity between what the pain point is and then what the scope looks like and, and even more often, sadly, I find the scope is developed before we truly even understand what the why is. You know, people have already created the scope and then they go off and, and run with it. Um, and then at some point they say, well, but you didn't tell me this. It's like, well, I think, I think you kind of started the, in, somewhere in the middle. So, um, so it's making sure that we have that connection between the why and the scope um, from the, the lens of the project, but as, long, as well as the lens of the stakeholders and making sure that it is realistic, that we are going to be able to deliver on whatever it is that, you know, whatever it is that we're, we're taking on as well. Um, also, I think one, something that's really, really critical is we talk about stakeholders a lot, but often I find we don't necessarily understand the extent of our stakeholders. And I know I've personally been on projects where people have said to me, well, here are your stakeholders. And that's been defined because they have a similar name to what the project might be. But actually, the impact of the project often extends past just that key one or two people. Um, and understanding the impact of that project then helps you to understand well, you scope better to begin with, but you also are able to understand how you can then embed that into the organization because if other people are relying on that change um they need to know how to become a champion for you as a team you know they need to know you need to understand how they will interact with it whether you could have a potential person out there who's going to just unravel it all for you and make sure that they are you know your kink in the process right so um also having a and this is something i'm so passionate about but having a plan for how you're going to hand over at the start mm. handover is how we make it stick mm. 
But often we don't know what people need at the start. We only start to find that out at the end. And then we have to try and reverse engineer and we realize, oh, it might be training, you know, oh, it might be a portal or it might, you know, whatever it could be for those people. But you have to think at the end of the day, I always say a project is like a big circus tent. We're only here temporarily. When that circus tent disbands, what do you leave for your stakeholders? And that's really the sticking point. Are you leaving them with this massive mess and they don't know where you've put all of the chairs that used to be here before and they don't know where all of the things have been moved to. And so for them, it's like a big dig and it doesn't work quite as well as it used to because somebody's taken that extra extension cord away, you know, that we really relied on. Or do they really enjoy that experience? And when they're not sure about where something is, there is, you know, there's, there's a sign. It tells them where to go and it directs them is that are you looking for that long lasting experience and it's really that's i guess that's the best way i've been able to see it and i've been able to explain it to people hmm. i like that analogy of the circus tent it's interesting Hopefully the project's not a circus by the way but, oh, please, <laughs> but often as we yeah. know in projects it, it, can often be. <laughs> it can be and actually finding you know you have one stakeholder has been assigned to you for, for example and then you find out that there's two or three other stakeholders. So one stakeholder might say, well, uh, that's not my responsibility. Why don't you contact person A or person B? And you go to contact person A or person B and they say, well, who, who gave you my name? I, I'm not on this project. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. it can be a bit of a circus trying to find out who those SMEs are, right? But once yeah. you find them, uh, once you find them, uh, you probably want to use some form of best practice to, to extract the information that you need. So what, what are some project management best practice techniques to avoid projects from failing? Perfect. Um, I think firstly, a RACI is so key because for exactly the reason that you've just mentioned, people need to know what, who's responsible for what, who's accountable for what, who needs to be consultant, you know, and who, who needs to be informed, right? They need to understand, well, this is just a more of an FYI, but this is something that if you don't take accountability for, this is how it's going to impact you and, you know, your area or your, your piece of work or whatever it might be, but it will have a detrimental effect on the work that you do and the people that you are accountable to as well. So, so I think that's one of, the the biggest keys and i think the thing with a racy best practice says we need it i think what best practice doesn't say is that it's an ongoing process because as we know projects evolve and so and so too should all of your key you know your key documents like your racy for example it should be evolving with your project because at different points there will be different stakeholders who come in and out um, so I think that's one of the keys. Um, having your team um, being close to you is really, really important. And I think um, having a plan that is indicative of the work that you're doing um, helps to do that, right? So when you're close to your team, they will then dictate the plan that you have. And then you can make sure that that plan is a true representation of the work that they need to do because often 
we know in our plans we say we take somebody's word and we're not necessarily that close to them because we accept and expect that they are responsible and they know but they don't necessarily have all of the information for them to be able to give you all of that right so so it's about when we're close enough to our team and we know we have that relationship because we've built it from the beginning by being vulnerable and being human <laughs> um, that plan then becomes a real representation of the work that's going on as opposed to just a task that people kind of go and I know that there's a lot more agile processes that can help with some of those things. But again, it relies on the relationships because you don't, all of the methodologies in the world are terrific. But when you don't have that relationship with your team, it's just, they're just words, really. Um, and then obviously boundaries, <laughs> boundaries on our project to make sure that we keep things on track. Um, and, and I think lessons and measuring two of the key things like measuring all the time, because things do change as the, as we know about the circus, things happen and we go, we start to chase our tails. Obviously the plan helps with that, but making sure that we're reviewing what's working and where we're working through what's not working, you know, those things are really quite key as well. Um, and the risk, risk register, you know, the raid the risk and tracking those dependencies and, and knowing, I guess, knowing what could derail your project um, mm. and bringing those risks out early too, um, so that we can mitigate them and plan for them because it's, it's no point waiting for something to turn into an issue. Is there? So, um, but all of these things are, should be part of your process, you know, and, and they should be something that it's not just one of those things that you check just before you have to report your status updates to your stakeholders. Mm something that you should be living and breathing because the best analogy I can use on that front is we are a train. A project is really just on a train. The project lead, <laughs> the project uh, manager is like the overhead rails and, and the guards on the, on like the rail on the ground, right? It's, it's, they're setting the direction that you have to follow. You rely on your team to alert you when mm. things are going to derail or could potentially derail. You have to have your relationship with the team to be able to do that. They need to know what their responsibilities are to do that. They need to be able to you know, give you that information to derail. That's really what your risk register is all about. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when you get to the end, if something's going wrong, you need to be able to be close enough to the ground to be able to um, change course if you need to. Mm. Long winded answer perhaps, but I guess hopefully it gives people what they need to know. No, it's good. And when you said it's all about words, it reminded me of this quote from a philosopher, a uh, long-time philosopher, Francis Bacon, words are wise people's counters, the very currency of fools. Actually, I've changed it slightly. He said words are wise man's counters, but that was a couple of seconds. Uh, so, <laughs> I love it. I, I love the change. Are, oh, We're evolving. You see, you're evolving. This is the point. Yeah, it's all about it. And I just want to say for our audience out there, for people who don't know about Erasy, so it's all about a chart, a racy chart, responsible, accountable, consultant informed, who is responsible, accountable, consultant informed, and you can kind of create an Excel sheet with the names of your stakeholders and who is accountable and so on and so forth. So uh, just to, just to elaborate for those who might not know what a racy chart is. Um, so one way to set yourself up for success on a project is to speak up. And you've all talked about, you've talked about communicating. 
some of us are inwardly and we don't want to speak up even though we're project managers and sometimes you feel it's difficult to speak up um why why should we speak up and how how can we do so in a, in a better way i think the thing is is that we all have an opinion speaking up is just transferring that opinion from our minds to somebody else and it's important to know why people don't speak up and it's because mostly it's because there's a fear there's a fear that what we're saying could be wrong could be the obvious you know it could be all of those things might not be agreed with but the reality is is that well firstly for people to speak up you need to have trust and you need to have that safe space and it comes back to um, what tone are you trying to set as a project manager? You know, you have a team who follow your, because you're an influencer, you have a team and you have stakeholders who follow your lead. So by not speaking up, you're conveying exactly the same message to your team mm -hmm. to not speak up. And if you rely on them to be your eyes and your ears, <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> you know, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is I think project managers or any project member um, needs to understand the significance of their role. So coming back to the fact that they are the eyes and ears, they are the alerts. And when I think when people understand, wow, my role in this, you know, by, it's not so much about just speaking up and being judged. It's about, I'm an alert now. I'm a control that tells people, confirms that we're on the right track or that we could derail. Hmm. Um, actually then helps people to put their fear aside because they know that it's relied upon because without that information we may not succeed and you may be inwardly but you still don't want to fail hmm. and then lastly I think let's think about let's put it in perspective what is the worst case scenario of speaking up somebody says you're wrong okay <laughs> I'm sure you can live with that, <laughs> you know, but what, what does that actually truly equate to? It's not a dangerous situation, mm -hmm. um, number one. Number two, people already know the information you're volunteering. Great, people have thought about it. It means your project is probably more solid than, you know, than other people have thought. That's terrific. What's the best case scenario? People haven't thought about what you're talking about and it could actually be significantly detrimental to the project. I feel that the gains are much more significant than the downfalls of not speaking up. But then come back to the fact that particularly as a project manager, by you not speaking up, neither were the people around you and you can't run a project in silence. I like how you explain that. I like the analogy of the train and derailing and the idea that you should speak up there is sometimes there's a bit of politics involved and you think uh, if i say something i might derail this project but you can diplomatically articulate your ideas without offending people certainly the powers that be absolutely um, right? I think, yeah yeah i agree and i think the other thing is is that um it is your it is your job your duty and your responsibility to pass on information that you know as you say, you report to somebody, somebody's ultimately the decision maker of this if you're not. 
it is it's up to you to provide them with all of the information that they need to make an informed decision it doesn't mean that they will always agree with you it doesn't mean that they will always change you know the course based on what your recommendation is but at least it means that you have given all of the information available to you for somebody else to do that now if they choose not to and something does go wrong as you have anticipated, well, you've done absolutely everything that you can because the reality is, is that as project managers, we can't control the outer all the time. You know, we can influence, but we can't make somebody decide what they what we want them to. But at least we can sleep with ourselves knowing that we've done everything we can in our power because that's really what we're engaged for. Yeah, it's all about the engaging, engaging with people who matter. It's interesting, you know, I've thought about project management for many years, uh, whether it's reading a book or whether it's just walking in in a park. And at the end of the day, it's all about people. It's all about engaging with people. And um, sometimes the glue sticks and sometimes it doesn't. So you've got to find a way to work yourself around those people. And that is a skill. It's a skill that not a lot of people have. Interesting. Yes, it's so true. And I think, I think part of it is because, well, people are fickle, <laughs> you know, particularly as project managers, we love structure, you know, we love plans, we love spreadsheets, we love reports and all that sort of stuff, because it's all tangible. Mm. But when you think about people, they're not, you know, people come with all sorts of diversities, opinions, um backstories bad bad experiences positive experiences you know all those sorts of things it makes them fluid and it makes them really hard to forecast and it's almost you know something that project managers typically don't love to do but mm. i think and and i'm actually you know i'm speaking to the project management institute in um in melbourne in the melbourne chapter um soon in the next few weeks about this topic and i think Part of it is understanding that, well, firstly, when we fail, <laughs> well, people can contribute to our success and our failure, right? Um, and I think the thing is, is that we can always plan for the people because you can plan for the environment that you want to create. You can plan for the outcome you want to create. And therefore you can plan for having meetings with people, how you're going to communicate, what you're going to communicate. You can be very purposed about doing those sorts of things. So yes, there will always be diversities in people, but actually sometimes if we don't look at it, we don't realize that in those diversities, there are positive gains. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is. It's interesting because years ago, you probably said, no, it can't be diverse. But now it's, nope, diversity is going to move your project along. That's it. Yeah. One thing the reality is it exists, whether we like to admit it, talk about it, look at it, it exists, you know, um, and I, I had a perfect, I mean, one of my best stories is I had a tester in my team, seems like I'm very affiliated to testers at the moment, but no, I did many years ago, and um, because I've always encouraged having open conversations and understanding, you know, the backstory of, of people on my team, um, mm -hmm. I realised that they were a... Uh, they they actually loved um to be in those really difficult conversations they love negotiating with people they love 
the worse the person was, the more they got excited about that scenario. And so we happened to be on a project where we had a couple of really tricky stakeholders. <laughs> um, and I was, you know, it was one of the projects where I was in so many different places that I had to be at the same time. I wasn't able to always be, you know, in every single stakeholder, particularly with these difficult stakeholder meetings. So I sent the tester. And the tester started converting our stakeholders to become our champions just because they loved to do it. Nice. <laughs> and of course, they built the relationship. And of course, when it came to the testing and, you know, the test and all those sorts of things, they nailed the brief, but they did a lot more than that. They were able to champion our cause. So, you know, that's the diversity in people. That's not their role. <laughs> that was never yeah. on their job title. But by understanding, you know, the intricacies and the brilliance in people, you can use those people to um, to help you succeed in ways you wouldn't necessarily have considered. It's interesting. I had a years ago when I was a business analyst, I had a project manager who said to me, Marcus, we have a project coming up and person A, person B, person C is on the project. Are you OK with that? <laughs> he actually gave me a choice. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, that's kind of cool. But what he was really trying to do was find the chemistry between the people. If it worked, then the project would probably more than likely work because he'd worked with these people before. Mm -hmm. But if someone spoke up and said, eh, you know what, I, yeah, it's not going to work for me, might as well get out before the project started yeah. um, and gives the project manager time to get those people that connect, that, that have that chemistry. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, if, if, the Q, if the quality assurance person is willing to speak up and promote hey by all means it's obviously a person, yeah it's a person that's created that chemistry that works with your group so that's good mm. definitely definitely fantastic so Karina, if, if anyone wants to get in touch with you how can they do so um i think firstly probably linkedin i'm quite active okay. on linkedin so they can look for me on uh, at Karina o'donnell that's my handle, as I'm told it's called. I'm so not social media savvy. <laughs> um, I also have a mail list which people can join, and I, you know, have lots of um, articles, and um, I also have my podcast, and I have, you know, other things that that I promote there as well. So, and that's um, www.pwp.projecting.com.au. Okay. Um, yeah, and there is uh, my email too, which is info at projecting.com.au. Splendid. Well, thank you for being a guest on the show, Corrine. It's been splendid. You're more than welcome to come back. Uh, in fact, I have to start getting people to come back to the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll start with you and I'll set. Um, <laughs> And best of luck with, with your projects in, in Melbourne and uh, with this um, event that you have with the PMI Melbourne chapter. Thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to share my passion with you, Marcus, and uh, making me very comfortable on this podcast. <laughs> You're very welcome. And I, for me, it's obviously the evening for you. It's the daytime. So have yourself a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend. Thank you, and uh, yeah, enjoy your evening. Thank you. You're very much welcome. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And now a word from our sponsors. The Lewis Institute provides an enterprise project management program that does more than just train PMs. It helps support them 
from the CEO level on down. These courses help certify project leaders and prepare them to pass the PMP exam.